Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. <laughs> uh, tonight we go back to 1966 for the rather unique kaiju movie of sorts, Daijomon, uh the first of the trilogy of films uh, released by Dei. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching and uh, Stephen, what's been holding your interest? So I've watched a couple of things, something new and a rewatch. I'll start with the new Parallel World Love Story based on a, I think, a novel by Kiego Higashino, which is not the first time I've said that before, um, but not a novel that's been translated into English. I picked this up a while ago from somewhere and it's just sort of sat on my sat on my pile and nothing was really inspiring me to watch it but today I thought I want something to talk about so I watched it the premise is there's a fella who's a he's a bit of a science genius um every day he goes somewhere on the train and on Tuesdays a train sort of overtakes his train um, a girl is always standing in the same place and he feels they have some kind of connection um, on his last day the day he graduates top of the class he decides he's going to seize the moment and basically get on her train so he can meet her and say look I've been obsessing over you for two years <laughs> and, and, and um, he does that however she's on his train they never meet how sad Cut to a couple of years later, he's moved on, and um, he's meeting his best friend um, from from middle school, who also now is working at this uh, sort of big American um, biotech company with him, uh, who comes along, and he's introducing his new girlfriend to our protagonist, and guess who his mate's new girlfriend is? That's right, the girl he obsessed about for years. So far, so weird. Um, apart from then, our protagonist wakes up from a, a night's sleep goes into the kitchen for breakfast and tells his wife he's had a funny old dream the wife turns around and guesses who it is why it's the girl that he saw on the train that's also married uh, that's also going out with his best friend mm-hmm. and what we end up with here is what appears initially to be some kind of sliding doors thing going on where there's a story taking part taking place in what appears to be two parallel universes the main difference being that um the, the girl is married to the different friend in each or going out or has a relationship with a different friend in each one of these universes it actually goes somewhere else completely 
and has more in common with um, something like Eternal Sun, Sun, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I think would be the film and the story that it's most based on. And it's all about memory and memories being replaced. And it's it's kind of interesting. Um, Higashino doesn't just do sort of detective stories. Um, if you're wondering something that he's written, he did um, The Devotion of Subject X, which was perfect number. Was, was the adaptation of a, that was an episode that we did. So he, he tends to do detective stories, but he does these sort of pseudo sci-fi things. And and it's it's really interesting. However, I, I do think the premise is more interesting in this film than the actual execution because our main hero, or I, I call him protagonist, not hero, um, is a bit of a creep and a slime ball. And some of this is because of the nature of the plot. And the way that basically what it's saying is you can alter someone's memory and your body, your mind would do its bloody damnness to get rid of the cognitive dissonance and make sure that you that everything gets tied up. So one altered hmm. memory will actually maybe result in 57 altered memories and you'll just over explain everything to explain why this 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 jarring thing isn't true but it makes him do some really creepy weird things and so he's not the most sympathetic of protagonists until it flips around and then you think oh yeah that's that 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 was okay the biggest problem with it is it's a japanese film and japanese films have this problem i find quite often is that they're not so good at giving you that, that, that romantic spark between leads sometimes. So it's certainly modern Japanese cinema. With Korean cinema, you can have two incredibly yeah. beautiful people that barely touch, but you get this... There's always a there's some kind of romantic spark between, and, you, and you'll believe it. Even though they haven't jumped in bed together, even though they've barely held hands, you'll believe that the depth of their their love, their romantic love, is is real. In Japanese films, I never, I rarely, rarely get that feeling. I, I don't know why it is. And so the whole idea and the denouement of this film is that these two were meant to be together and they're absolutely in love with each other, yet nothing in the film ever really gives you that idea that these are the two that are meant to be together. So it was, it was a bit of a weird one, but it's re if, if you ever get a chance to watch it, it's definitely worth seeing because, you know, sort of these... J j there isn't enough live-action sci-fi in Japan. You know, every, these things tend to end up in animes, uh, or um, or if they turn up anywhere, they turn up in live-action versions of animes. Whereas this is this is kind of interesting, and it doesn't do anything. You know, it's not like Memento, where one of the versions of the reality is in a different colour and shown in a different way. There's there's no visual cues. You just have to understand the story. And um, yeah, really good, but with caveats. The other film I watched was um, definitely a rewatch, and I had to go back to um, 2013, so when I saw it last time, actually this is a film I actually saw in London as part of some film festival where the director was actually there and doing a question and answer session, and I remember being in London that night, and it was just off Leicester Square, and... Um, there was something else going on. I can't remember for the life of me who it is, but there were some superstars were in town, and I just felt I was missing out on the superstars because I had to see this film. Um, anyway, I'm not sure what the film is yet. It's it's flu, um, because I think we're reaching the end of the pandemic now. Certainly by the time this episode comes out, I'm hoping that our 
our world is in a little safer place and we're probably a bit more able to do things. So I thought it was time to go back and revisit flu. Now, every summer, so that, like I said, this came out in 2013, I'd say for sort of the previous five years and still now, every summer, Korean cinema tends to put out one of these big, budgety, disaster movies. Um... Uh, and, and there was Hyundai, which was about a um, a super wave that came and crashed down and destroyed a destroyed a city. And there was the tower, which was like towering inferno, but for the 2010s. Um, and this one, based on a sort of a, avian flu, although ironically inspired by the foot and mouth disease, which had happened in the United Kingdom just just a couple of years previously, which we've all forgotten about foot and mouth, but we. <laughs> we we've been through a pandemic. It, it was it was a huge thing, and certain areas of the country it were locked down. Thing, and we, we we forget that because now now, flu. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's it's bombastic and it's large, and and flu is not like COVID. Flu is the this 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 version of avian flu is a bit more explosive and a heck of a lot more um, uh, what's the word um, transmissible. Um, and I'd forgotten when I watched it quite quite how bombastic it is however it's got a really winning uh, main lead in Jang Hyuk who's um, who at this time back in 2013 was probably the big star of Korean cinema it's got Su A uh, who, who's one of those Korean stars that only has one name you know like Madonna um, who again was a big thing she's big in TV at the time um, there's a charming little kid Park Min Ha, but every Korean film's got one of them these days. Um, but it just feels big budget. Yes, some of the special effects don't work. But looking back on my review before, my feelings really haven't changed, apart from one aspect. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a really big budget for a Korean film. There's loads of characters, there's loads of moving pieces. What's interesting about it is that normally in these kind of disaster films, you might follow like 10 different characters. And as the film goes on, half of them get killed off and you're going to end up with the main pair, aren't you? You're going to get romantically entangled. And you might end up with a couple of others survive to the end. In this one, it really concentrates on our two characters because they, they aren't together. And frankly, they're never going to be together unless there was going to be this disaster to get in the way. Um, but then it introduces a whole bunch of subplots in the final act, which are like, where the fuck did they all come from? And really sort of not only ramp up the tension with all the action going on and all the people dying, but then there's a whole political subplot and a whole people's revolution subplot going on as well. And it got it got a bit messy at the end. But the other thing is from the things that we've done in this show in the past few years where we have looked at certain events in Korean history think of the, like when we looked at peppermint candy for example where we sort of understood Korea's um, uh, relationship with dictatorships with um, violence against its people and things like that some the stuff that happens at the end of flu seem outlandish but when you put them in into a historical context you see that the director's actually making quite a political statement um it's full of really amazing um visuals as well i mean not the not the cgi fires and explosions they're shit but there's one bit where they're basically filling up a football stadium with dead bodies hmm. 
and they've sort of wrapped them all up in cellophane but in different colours and it just looks like it's just a really stunning visual image um, like I say Jang Hyuk as always is utterly charming and a believable <sighs> lead the little kid is, is great as well um, I'm pretty certain I've seen it on Netflix I've got the DVD required so, so I to watch it but if if you, if you if you if you want to, it's safe now to watch a film about a contagion that's not contagion or the other one, or Twenty Eight Days Later, and there's no zombies in it either. It's just, you know, it's a little bit over the top, but it's just one of those Korean summer disaster movies that I haven't seen for a little while. So yeah, they're my two. What about yourself? It's funny you were saying that obviously about you know being safe to watch these movies because I remember at the start of. Lockdown. Everyone was just revisiting Contagion yeah. and Outbreak, and it was. Uh, <laughs> we, I don't know. We're trying to educate ourselves on doing doing crash course on on how disease works, but I haven't seen Flu, and I haven't seen the Tower. Yeah, you said Hyundai, I'm sure. You might tied have away, to it's Tower. in the UK, which is another one. There was just they they always used to have the same girl. I can't remember what her name is. Um, oh, the girl from the classic. If you remember that that actress from the classic is in is he's in a couple of them. Um, oh, right. And then they went on yeah, and she's also in one about pirates. But there was just you know, big budget movies that, that were for the summer starring the, the, the lady du jour and the man du jour and they easily stand up against most Hollywood fare, if you know what I mean. I mean there's, there's you know, it's not quite as good. And I guess they, I guess they haven't really done them for a couple of years because of the pandemic. But you know, it was a big deal. Flu was like the first Korean film that was distributed directly to the West. You know, by by the um, by the Korean distributors, not not through someone buying it up at a film festival and sh- you know they they really tried hard with it. Now, I don't think it was a it wasn't a huge success internationally, but it was. I remember, I remember distinctly going to see the premiere, and and the director's quite a famous director who doesn't make many films. And there was a Q and A session, and I just remember being quite stricken by the fact that he was saying, you know, the thing that inspired him wasn't SARS, wasn't the avian flu, you know, the H one N one that that happened, or the Middle East and respiratory disease. It was foot and mouth disease, and I was just, <laughs> it's just amazing how. I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the pandemic. I may have mentioned it on this show, but it's amazing how we've just forgotten about it. <laughs> and I wonder how long it's going to be before we forget about COVID nineteen. Do you remember that? Do you remember that time we stayed at home for two years? I remember because uh, before that you had mad cow disease, and there was this whole thing about being people were like proudly proclaiming they on, weren't on the afraid bone. to eat, bri- yep. eat British beef. Um, and I remember especially that they changed all the pasties in school to uh, pork and beans <laughs> which were awful <laughs> so, yeah but they um, um the, i mean the, the the foot and mouth i mean I, I i live in an urban area but i come from the countryside and they were they were burning animals in piles and there were places you couldn't go and people who lived there weren't allowed to travel and there are some Im- there's a, some imagery in flu which is straight out of that, but with people yeah. instead of cows, and um, and then I just think well it was longer ago than I think. My kids have got no idea about that, um, and and it's just how easy the human mind sometimes forget about certain disasters, certain inconveniences. 
the old uh, the old blitz spirit takes over and we just forget about it soon. Um, we are very good at just getting on with things. It has to be said. Mm. So I just, like, I, I just I just wonder, will we live to a time where people don't remember staying at home for two years? I don't know really because as I said, it seems to be the same the case where everyone is just going to be remote working at the minute. There seems to be no rush to get us back to the uh, the offices. Um, so that's certainly true where I work. You know, the, 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 the narrative being fed to us is no rush. We're, we're, they'll build up a, a maximum occupancy level, which is the most that can go back, but it's very not much a desire to get anybody back. And I'm yeah. very lucky. I can work from home. Um, there's, a, there's, there's most of the time... Um, there's a few occasions where I need to go in to get my hands on something. Um, there, as as certain parts of my role, I do need to look people right in the eye, and uh, that that will have to happen. But I can absolutely conceive for the rest of my working career, I will not be going back into the office five days a week. It's just an excuse for you to work on your microbrew now, isn't it? I think a lot's well. My my bakery, my microbrewery, my um, <laughs> what, what what else have I learned? Oh, I'm fucking brilliant at making pizzas now. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. From from make my own tomato sauce, my own base. Yeah, I, I haven't quite made the cheese yet, but that 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 was there. Maybe own bacon. Um, yeah, it's um, there's a, there's a whole home industry, and I'm sure we've all learned. I'm sure we've all learned a lot of skills over over lockdown. Um. There's no need to go back to work. We're all self-sufficient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> banana bread. Oh, God, yeah, we, we, all, we all make banana bread. <laughs> okay. Um, for myself, just the one, because I've been watching a lot of anime. Um, but we'll do the film first, and then we'll get into my anime watching, uh, because I'm sure you're just going to be thrilled to hear, hear me read all that off. Um, but uh, the film-wise, I watched one on Boxer, directed by Jimmy Wang Yu from 1972, which has just got a re-release through Eureka. Um, this one's a this one's a charm. This one is it's a real slice of kung fu weird. Um, basically, this film I stumbled into mainly because I liked the sequel, um, Master of the Flying Guillotine, which I mentioned in a previous episode. I watched the Flying Guillotine and thought it was like the fir- the film that followed came before Master of Flying Guillotine, but it's actually this film, uh, One Armed Boxer, that um, that came before it. And here Jimmy Jimmy Wang Yu plays uh, Tian Yung, who is the best fighter at the Ching Tai Martial Arts School. And their rivals are the Hook Gang, <coughs> who they've got a bit of a truce happening with. But um, he gets into a brawl and basically ends up beating up a bunch of these gang members. And they go back to their boss and tell him that... Um, basically um, misguide him on what, what actually happened. Um, so he recruits a bunch of specialist fighters, shall we say, uh, because there's a lot of real questionable stereotypes that play in this one, including my favourite being the master of yoga, uh, the Indian guy who's actually does some <laughs> actor in very, very bad uh, blackface. Is this is this like Street Fighter before it was Street Fighter? Pretty much, but a lot of the, a lot of these movies are like when you watch Heroes of the Heroes of the East. There's always like the recruiting of the different martial arts masters. Yeah. So that part doesn't. But when you see a guy who makes Mister Popo from Dragon Ball look like, oh, that's not so offensive now. Yeah, I mean we've talked about this a few times, haven't we? The um, 
<laughs> we there's been a lot of talk about yellow face in 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 western cinema hasn't there over the past yeah. few years and then we we look back and we cringe uh everything from uh was it a godzilla film or was it mothra it was mothra it's, wasn't yeah, it mothra. um mothra onwards you know we, we see so much blackface going on and it's like <laughs> I had to say though that when we look at like Mothra and the Godzilla ones, when you have the Islanders, that they're at least passable. It doesn't look like you got someone in blackface. This looks literally like they tried to paint some guy black. Oh god! <laughs> and it, and it's not like a, a pure black. It's a very sort of patchy sort of black. But yeah, he's the master of yoga, which means he can stab himself with a knife and it causes him no damage. But you've got like the the judo master you've got the taekwondo master you've got the uh shaolin lama masters um so you've got these guys and basically they set about beating up the Tae martial arts school and in the process uh Tianlong loses his arm and normally in this case we have like this drawn out thing where he reassesses his life and goes off to become a farmer or does goes on this like epic sort of like a uh, recovery sort of mission but um apparently either i'm not sure exactly what happened here but i think either they said no we're not going to let you make this film longer than an hour and a half or jimmy wang just basically thought no i don't really want to direct that stuff that stuff's really boring i just want to concentrate on cramming as much fight scenes as possible because we get to the bit where he has like you know he's crawls away and he would dust his one arm and he's found by the farmer and his daughter and instead of it being this whole scene it's a series of photographs of his his recovery process before we cut to him basically going through the questionable recovery process where he basically uses the power of chi to channel all his power into this one arm which involves him sticking it in fire and dropping heavy a polystyrene looking weights onto it to create this huge, this like metal fist. So it's more of a collage than a montage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a scrapbooking it's, 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 of, of... <laughs> it's sort of like this series of like, it's sort of like his snapshots of what he's been up to. Um, which I, I have to say is the first time I've ever seen a film take that approach. Hmm. But this is, this is, before this, we've even got him ripping off the shaft theme. So we had the theme from Shaft, like the opening orchization um, bit. Um, it's the theme tune to this movie. Well, you know, China has a very different relationship to copyright law than the rest of the world, doesn't it? <laughs> they they open, <laughs> openly ripped off another exploitation Zora. So, yeah, this one's this one, the fight scenes are really, really good, including the great line um, of... I went to hell, but uh, they weren't ready for me yet. As he prepares for his big quarry fight at the end. Uh, but yeah, there's some fun bits in there. You get the the various sort of style versus style fights. You get some teleport foo. You get some kung fu weird. And it moves at a really decent pace. So I um, I, had, I had fun with this one, for sure. Yeah, it sounds, sounds kind of interesting. I might dig that out myself. Other than that, it's been a lot of anime watching. I've uh, dived back into One Piece. I'm currently 15 episodes into the 1000 and whatever arc. 
that uh, have to watch that. So yeah, making the most of my Crunchyroll trial at the moment, watching that. Um, started watching High Rise Invasion, which is also really good, uh, where a group of strangers find themselves on top of a series of interlinked high rise buildings being targeted by these mass killers who basically have to try and break their spirits to to get them to jump off the building but they basically spend all the time stalking them while these uh, people try to find a way out of their situation um yet to finish it but i'm enjoying that one so far but um no one piece is just I, I, it is while it's a long ass saga it's a very enjoyable one and it's also mad as a box of frogs at the same time um <laughs> The fact that we had um, the the clown pirate who's got to, who ate the chop chop fruit, which means he can detach his limbs, and um, we have Luffy at this point who sees this happening and remarks, "He's a monster." While underneath a box appears saying, "Rubber person." You see, I wish I'd known all this. I think I don't know if I've told you before, but the yeah. la- last time I went to Hong Kong. Um, which was longer ago than it should have been, but you mm. know, pandemic stuff, and also there was a uh, there was the whole revolution thing was going on at the same time. Um, I went to a One Piece um, exhibition. It was just an exhibition that, ha- that that basically it was all about One Piece. I had no idea what this was. <laughs> <laughs> all these. It was all very. It was all three dimensional as well. It was all quite clever, oh, nice. and I've got I've got some stuff for it. I had no idea what One Piece was. I kind of guessed it was a manga, yeah, um, or, or something. But and it, it reminded me of um, just the visuals because I, I couldn't read anything. But it reminded me of Asterisk, where you know the 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 Belgian band they <laughs> where where there did seem to be some well very simplistic um, national stereotyping going on. I don't know. Maybe I misread it. But, uh, yeah. But it looked it's... kind of interesting. and It was very popular. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, similar to... It's similar to all those sorts, all the Super Sendai shows, all the, mm. you know, where you've got your hero who's, like, super powerful, but at the same time an idiot. <laughs> so he's very similar to Goku in in many ways, Luffy is, and I love the. This is one of those occasions because normally I watch these things with dub because you know subtitles is difficult to read when you're watching things on book, and um, the person doing the voice of Luffy has just got such. It really captures the manacle nature of this character who just constantly smiles like a lockjaw. He's got that big bear trap style grin to him. Um, and the fact, as I said, the fact that it's in a world where you have magical pirates, as we're all on the hunt for the One Piece, the, the treasure that's going to make him king of the pirates. And this this is quite old, isn't it? Because I've got a couple of One Piece... Oh, yeah, this has been going on for yeah. years. I've got some One Piece fighting games for my Bandai Wonderswan. Again, so, so I, 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 I'm, I'm obviously quite embedded into One Piece, mate, without ever seeing it. <laughs> yeah. But, um... Yeah, you. As I said, you. At the moment, he's going around. He's assembling his crews. He's got Zoro, who's the master swordsman and the master of the free sword style. Uh, which, if you remember, in you've played the Yakuza game, so you know where they've got like the free pistol style, where you've got a pistol in each hand, one in your teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does the same thing, but with swords. <laughs> of course, he does. <laughs> so that's the master of the free sword technique. 
Um, and you've got Nanny, who's like the navigator. And we've got Chop Chop, who's the doctor, who's like a weird dog type thing. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing to have your doctor called Chop Chop, but. But uh, yeah, as it Is goes it any on, worse you... than him being called Bones? <laughs> True. <laughs> But um, yeah, I just as I say, it's really easy to get into, which is a break from a lot of these anime shows. Which just, you know, you got to watch like three or four to get into this one. Just sort of hits the ground running and just has really sort of interesting and colourful characters. And unlike Dragon Ball, doesn't have like multiple episodes of people just screaming at each other for like five or six episodes at a time. Um, because that's how you get more powerful in Dragon Ball: to scream louder than the other guy. True story. <laughs> I believe you. Um, but yes, as I said, just a lot of anime watching at the minute, which is is great. But at the same time, I know that I've got all these anime shows that I'm just like outstanding. Like I've got bits of Dragon Ball Z, I've got bits of Dragon Ball Z Super, I've got Full Metal Alchemist that I've still got to finish. So I really should like sit and focus on one show. But I just struggle when you got we're dealing with a big property, just to like sit and just go through season after season of of it. I like to try and break it up a bit. So. Well, I probably could be further ahead. Um, and at the moment, I'm just taking in many things at the moment. So I don't, I don't think you'll ever get to the end of some of these as long as you live, because there'll always be more, won't there? Yeah, but at the same time, you sort of like can look at it that way, or you can look at it at the fact that, well, if I just stand here and wait for it to come back to me, I don't think it's going to happen either way. It's only going to get further away. There's just so much of it, though, isn't there? That's the thing. I know. I, but I guess it's. I, I, I guess, but this this is the challenge for all you anime nerds. It's going to end it, at some it, point. It, it's, there's so much <laughs> of it. There's so much of it. And I think you either dip in and out of many shows and just accept the fact that it'll happen when it happens. Yeah. Or you get obsessed by one show and one show alone, which I think is, it would be a shame. Yeah, I, I, I know people who only watch one property. Hmm. Um, like Gundam or something and that's the only thing they're interested in ever and they're lucky because there's 37 variations of it but I think they're probably missing out it's like, it'd be like only watching ER <laughs> or something <laughs> like that in the West it's oh, it's it is hard to to be part of the conversation. That's Ooh. that's the only the only downside to it with the sheer amount that is coming out. To you really got to sort of latch on to what is sort of popular, what everyone's talking about. If you want to be sort of part of that conversation, so when you like latch on to things such as like My Hero Academia or Attack on Titan, so you can like you can enjoy the conversation with them. But at the same time, I just. I, I don't know if it's me just being the old man now. I just don't really feel the urge to be on like message boards arguing with people about what happened on some show. No, I know what you mean. And that, that can be what fandom has become. Um, I just like to sit here and be be content with my own opinion of <laughs> things. Oh, it's like, laughed, yep, this laughed is it out is. on your own podcast or something like that. Yeah. You know, subject someone who doesn't watch anime to my opinions. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, that was our anime chat. Uh, I think it's time we go into our feature presentation. Okay.
Tonight's pick is one for myself, as we're going to be looking at Dajaman from 1966. Uh, very much inspired by the fact that Arrow are bringing out the Dajaman trilogy box set. So uh, you can pick that up, and it does look absolutely does look really nice. Um, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> which is never good. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind. Uh, I thought we'd look at the first film of the trilogy because I've never seen any of the Dajamon ones, but it seems to hit a lot of the things I like, such as like Pop Samurai and Giant Monsters and Feudal Japan. Um, so it seemed like a really good uh, good excuse to f- sort of look at the first of these films. And the whole trilogy was shot back to back, and it was uh, put out by Dei, who is one of um, one of our favorite studios. You don't really sort of think about much because you think of Toho, but you kind of forget about studios like Dia because they obviously were responsible for not only Gamera, but they put out quite a lot of films that we like. They were actually usually a lot of films that were like the first, weren't they? They, um, you know, T- Toho's the one that always, because it's got yeah. Godzilla, I guess always gets the, the, the name recognition, but they did, yeah, like you say, Gamera, and you quite often you find out like the first special effects film was a day a film in fact didn't we wasn't that um i can't think does that link to our invisible man episode i can't remember now but yeah they were a big they were a big deal in this market but not quite as they seem to be keep hunting for the the great franchise well, they put out um shall um, we dance in 96 which i know you're a fan of and they also put Indeed, out uh, yes. Pulse, which i think you've worked into every single episode oh Oh, well, you've done it for me this week, <laughs> but yes. But, well, now we've done Cure, and you liked Cure, we can go to Pulse. But yes, they are, um, they're a pro- they're, they were, I th- are they still around? No, they went They went bankrupt, but, I mean, to their credit, while, obviously, Toho had um, Godzilla, Zatoichi. Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they had that. They also had uh, the Yoki Monsters movies. Mm-hmm. I'm just sort of going through their list now. They had several of the several of the Mike movies, like Shinju Tri- Triad Society. They did the trilogy for that. They also did the Dead or Alive movies and Graveyard of Honor. So they definitely and they've even put out like a couple of the Ghibli movies, like Pompoko was through them. Okay. Yeah. I mean they're uh... Um and yeah, you mentioned already Invisible Man Appears, forty nine. It was. I thought. It, I thought it was. Yeah. They um, certainly, certainly back in that sort of post-war period, they're one of the more important studios. Um, but yeah, as as with much things in in not just in Japan but in Asia, a lot of these studios die off. Um, tie, tying back to our Millennium Actress uh, episode, which is uh, which is literally about that, isn't it? About a studio that dies off. It's. It's interesting when you go through the filmography and you realise just how many films that they were responsible for, and there's a lot of like a lot of the key anime films of like the um, the early nineties when you look at things like The Dark Myth and L.A. Blue Girl. God, mm-hmm. that, that's a something for another day. This film was released as part of a double feature with Gamera vs. Baragon uh, back in '66, and. While on the surface you may think, oh, this is going to be like a giant monster movie, it's actually kind of not. It's something a little different. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. Yes, it's um, 
I mean, there are plenty of, I guess, monster movies where the monster only appears in the last ten minutes. So in that regard, it's not unique. But this is a, this is a, this is a Edo era samurai film, isn't it? Um, oh, not definitely. Film. Not, maybe not samurai film, but it's an Edo era sort of drama with. The monster might not even exist, to be honest with you. It may, you know, it may, it may as well. In many regards, the, the film could have succeeded with just the threat of it, but uh, obviously, it does exist. And I know somebody who was a, well, I don't know him personally, but we both know somebody who was a big fan of this film <laughs> because it clearly inspired our North Korean Paul Gasari, didn't it? <laughs> it did, didn't it? I was still looking at this again. Again, this seems real familiar. <laughs> but, but but ten, if not more, years earlier. The film itself it follows a village in the uh, province of Tamba, uh, where the locals sort of uh, pray to a divine divine spirit known as Dajaman, um, who they believe is trapped in the nearby mountain, and they believe by holding a ceremony um, I think it's around every 10 years that basically pacifies his spirit and keeps him contained in the mountain um, at the same time the local lord is uh, usurped um, by one of his uh, by one of his lieutenants and um, basically proceeds to take over the village um and it's really thanks to a samurai uh, called uh, kajenta who gets out the t- the lord's two children and uh, takes them to escape in the mountains with the help of a elderly priestess known as uh, shinobu mm. um and what uh, follows is uh, basically these two children growing into adulthood and plot into reclaim the village which has basically fallen into more of a, kind of like a slave camp really um, yeah, it's it's weird. You call it a village, but it's more like a walled city, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah. It's um yeah, and, and we've got to remember sort of this set in the time. This is set in the time Japan was run by multiple different leaders. It, it as a country didn't really exist, and so these sort of little city states, I guess, existed. And the one thing I will say that um. <laughs> The, the guy who took over decided the right time to take over is when the useless villagers are out having a little midsummer type party. Um, not, but 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 all the soldiers are still around. I mean, it, the coup <laughs> succeeds, but I would have waited till the soldiers weren't around rather than the useless everyday proles. I don't know. It was a it was a weird time reasoning to choose, but it it was successful. Yeah, it's, he, uh, he I think took it's... over. Because they were distracted because of the, they basically they assume that these earth tremors that that rock the village are the result of Digimon. And, yeah, although and I don't t- think many people believe it. <laughs> but at the same time, you've got these giant footprints that appear outside mm. the village. Mm. So there is there is there is some, but there is but there is a tension that. here, isn't there, between between these people that believe absolutely that there's this spirit that they've got to appease, who in theory is looking after them, but could also wipe them out with a single stamp, and people who don't believe in this shit at all, and they're just after sort of earthly powers. Yeah. Um. So it's it's it's, it's kind of interesting. So it's, it's sort of there's there's a little bit of magic in this world, but really this could be a Kurosawan drama, couldn't it? Of, of betrayal and 
princes and princesses growing up in the forest. It could. I think at the same time, it's a little. It's it's, it's very sort of light. It's in its mm, approach sure, to these things, sure. which I think is why it's so enjoyable. Mm. It doesn't get bogged down in heavy drama. We sort of like establish very soon on who who our sides are, because uh, we obviously have the we have the. Um, the coup that happens, obviously, when under the distraction of these these air tremors, and as you as you point out, Stephen, it, it's very successful, and they managed to turn this village into this slave labor camp, um, which apparently the peasants aren't too big on uprising. I don't know whether it's the fact that all the soldiers have guns and swords. Yeah, they they're not. They they they've just been. You know, they just accept the coup, don't they? Really, I don't mm. sense any real rebellion against it. I guess to the everyday person, it doesn't really matter who the big boss is, does it? If when yeah, when you're struggling to eat every day and you're shit scared of some giant in the mountains, <laughs> yeah, knock, knock yourselves out. But um, yeah, the priestess tries to to appease this uh, tyrant. You know that you know you have to have to worship this this god otherwise he's going to basically wake up and go and stomp on everything and of course it's kind of funny that uh Samuske, the the tyrant here, takes this as let's go to the mountain and just like desecrate this stone statue of uh of Dajaman. Mm. <laughs> which i have to say is like an interesting tactic of like it's all like in one way it's like saying yeah we d- we don't care we're not we're not uh, worried about your old agey beliefs, um, and at the same time, it's sort of like only sort of asking for trouble when you know what's going to sort of lies up ahead. And it's also it's like this is ten years later. The coup is very successful. Oh yeah, like, they basically ten, they've beaten ten, everyone ten. down by turning yep. all yeah. the. They're basically using extreme violence and uh, by breaking all the men of the village by making them do all the work. So no, everyone's basically got their spirits broken, which means, you know, mm. no one's uprising, I suppose, is that's how they're maintaining order. But I just thought it was interesting, it took them ten years to get around to breaking the whole religious thing. But I suppose you're right, you said at the beginning, didn't you, about those those earth tremors do yeah. seem to be every ten years or so, so maybe it's just, this is the next time they come up again. As we mentioned already, the two, the princess and the prince have uh, basically... Are now adults, and the uh, son Tadafume um, basically decides that he's going to reclaim his birthright and um, sets out to liberate uh, the town, which goes predictably horribly wrong. <laughs> um, not before we've had a scene of a, one particular village who tried to start an uprising being hung upside down. Yep. Which um, th- later... yeah, they like a bit. They like um, crucifixion in this time. Don't yeah, they? but it's not like that's what that was the other thing. It's like in the train we saw. It's like like people being crucified, but it's really weird crucified. They're sort of like spread frog, like mm. like um, like when you dissect frogs, they're basically they're while they're on the they're on like a double cross, which I wasn't sure whether it was like a attempt to avoid it being seen as like sacrilegious or what, but. It just means you've got some Japanese really awkward. Would have cared about that, but yeah. Um, but you know, there are different. Crucifixion is a thing that has happened across many cultures. Um, I've never seen it done quite like this, but I have no reason to believe it's not 
historically accurate. <laughs> looks looks as painful as any other sort of crucifixion. But yeah, you're those basically up on the cross, and they got their legs spread. So they want to like go and poke them between poke them in the uh, nuts with a big stick. Then I suppose they 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 have the umpo opportunity to do that. Mm. Um, which also makes him the worst hero ever. <laughs> His heroism is pretty shit. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's, he goes in like all gung ho, and then gets captured in like all about five minutes. So it yeah. needless to say, it doesn't go quite according to plan. I and that's one of the things I quite like about this film is that. You think you think one thing's going to happen, and not only do they diss it, they diss it in five minutes. <laughs> you know the the two guys that you thought were going to be the big heroes captured, bang, <laughs> and they <laughs> they have no real part in any of the rest of the film. Meanwhile, the tyrants men are going off to desecrate this statue and decide to nail a big big spike in its forehead. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Because they, they, first of all, the weak ass wooden hammers, unsurprisingly, don't do much damage. So they decide well, the one's gonna... clearly made of rubber. <laughs> it's they sort of climb up it, and the, and the, yeah, they're, they're bashing it. It's not working, and and the princess is there, and this annoying kid she's picked up, who is one of the most annoying people in cinematic history. Um, yeah, he's kind of like, like no, um, Japan's answer to the feral kid from Mad Max Two. Is exactly that's exactly who he is, and uh, he probably inspired Feral Kid from Mad Max too. And uh, but yeah, but luckily they bought a giant fucking spike to put in his forehead. Um, I'm not really sure where they were going with this. I mean, it's obviously a it's a what do they call it? They call it a chisel, don't they? In the in the yeah, well, certainly in the subtitles that I had. So I kind of see what they were doing, but yeah, I I, I just don't see the point. <coughs> I think there's better way of desecrating something and uh, it's at this point that they see the statue is is uh, dripped blood which uh, of course sends them into a bit of a panic and then causes the earth to magically open up um, as we get to the soldiers being bombarded with various special effects <laughs> well said sir which I think is the, the only way to really describe what's going on in that scene people fall into holes yeah, um, it's um so obviously um JJ Abrams saw this when he was um or was it, no, is it is it the first recent Star Wars film where Yeah, that was him. Kylo Ren and 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 uh, the new girl can't even think of her name. They're on that planet which splits in half just between them. A lot of that shit's going on. Um <laughs> it's very obviously clearly inspired a lot of people this film. But yes, but still no no giant monster, right? No, it's, it's still you know this 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 is a this is this is nature. This is this is this is like some god up high is doing creating natural disasters that gets rid of these guys. Um, they are not beaten by the giant monster. And we're into the final twenty minutes of the film at this point, mm. which is just unheard of, really. You wouldn't if you if you this is like a Hollywood production and it's like you're selling it on the prospect to a giant monster. I mean, he's all over the poster for this film. Indeed, and 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 even all we have seen is sort of a a small version of his head at most. That was only that's literally in the last half hour. We um, yeah, he 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 he. he you know, I I know I, there are other monster films where similar things happen, 
but you normally you've had a hint of their uh, of their activities or something like that, even if you might not have seen them up in the flesh. But this, yeah, so up to now, you'd have thought, what's going on? This poster is lying to us. Yeah, but it's all right; they make up for it. <laughs> so the princess basically, seeing that the statue is breathing blood, takes it as a sign that everything she's been told by. Um, by the priestess has been 100% accurate and appeases to the spirit of Adajaman to help save her brother and to finally, you know, smite the uh, the, the tyrant and his, and his men, and which he promptly does. Yes, a tear falls on his body again. Stop me if Pulgasari reminds you of anything. <laughs> <laughs> a tear falls and and suddenly... A giant statue appears to attack the walled city. S- completely changed scale, hasn't he? He's, he's thirty times bigger than he was, <laughs> and also with with the with the big um, chisel still in his head, which has also grown. Um, and, and honestly, this is the most you know one way battle of all time, isn't it? <laughs> it is really, and. Yeah, basically, uh, Samusky and his men are basically trying to throw everything they can at it, but Dajaman is impervious to all their medieval weapons and guns. Nothing will stop it. And he basically just takes a stroll through the, through the village, destroying everything in his path, stomping on people, which was a new one for myself, um, mm. before impaling with the chisel that's in his forehead... Uh, Samonowski, which I thought was mm. a real interesting touch. Mm. I mean, it's... Uh, it, there's no... Uh, there's no flair real... to how he does this, either. It's not no. like Godzilla or even Gamera, who bring like some flair to the city of destruction. Just a big-ass <laughs> stone deity force. taking a stroll. It's a big old force of nature, really, isn't he? And there's no... I think I think it's suggested he might have a weakness to fire, but it doesn't last very long. And yeah, he just does what he's going to do. But you know, he's also fairly you know, like all great gods, he's also fairly blind. He doesn't really know. You know, he's not. He's he's, he's been given one instruction: destroy the city, and that's yeah. what he's going to do. And it needs. Um, Kozaza, uh, the the princess, to kind of inspire him to be a little more subtle in his approaches. And, well, this and, is things he just sets it. out to destroy things. He has mm. no concerns over who's an innocent villager and who's a uh, you know a, a part of the the evil clan, which was really interesting, especially when he almost stands on the small child. Mm. Um. And I also thought that he killed the uh, the prince because he goes up to the cross and he sort of like picks him up and I thought, oh wow, he's killed you know this main person. Mm. Um, he's killed Koza, but he apparently hasn't somehow. But, no, um, he doesn't. And her tears again, of course, inspire him to not be a complete twat. <laughs> <laughs> Stop stomping on him. <laughs> That's enough now. Back to bed. I, I just say that it's sort of like it's not a great plan, 
that to liberate your village is by flattening <laughs> to the ground. It is. It's like a mutually assured destruction approach to uh, <coughs> to revenge, isn't it? Well, we're all going down with this one. Yeah. But, but again, you know, she's been she's been under this uh, priestess for ten years, assuming that she was being told the truth, which is kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, it, it's 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 violent. Those last. This is um. Although this is just a, ju- a man in a suit. Don't mistake this for being a gamma or, or a sort of a late sort of. I don't know what sort of time we're we talking here. Sixty-six. Oh, I suppose not quite. It's not quite into the worst rubber suiteriness of the of the kaiju movies, but it's not like that. These. This is Dijerman's fucking scary, mate. <laughs> it's, it's. It is. I'm, it's... I'm, I'm having a joke about the sort of the sudden change in scale which happens, but this is. This is pretty fucking strong stuff. Um, I'd never, I'd, I'd heard of these movies before. Yeah. And obviously, I think I referenced them in our Paul Gasari movie review, but I hadn't, you know, I'd seen the posters and I hadn't realised, well, quite how good it was. <laughs> it was. This is. I, I was not expecting the level of quality in special effects, in storyline, in. Just the whole piece, the structure of it, and to think they put three—I I know they're a little bit—you know—they made these three films at the same time, different directors, but yeah, I think I think the same crew did them, didn't they? Um, and I don't know if they share cast. I don't think they have any story connection, do they? They're just three films that happen to have some giant samurai god statue thing that. What Red looking at some of the reviews, it seems that the plot line is very similar. That mm. there's a an evil tyrant and a little bit of an uprising, and then Dijamon basically comes and flattens everything to the ground. That's the the end act of these these movies. And I have to say though, it's like despite you know him obviously not turning up to the last twenty minutes, I didn't actually find myself like dismayed by it because the story is really good for this. The one. story doesn't need the monster at the end. The monster at the end is just the icing on the cake. Yeah, you could have done this with them um, because quite interestingly, when Dijamon is st- stopped, you know, by by the tears of the princess, he blows up, and then some kind of spirit thing goes off up into the heavens. To show you, he was some kind of trap god all along. Yeah, Dijamon is. is... Hold on. Bear with me a second, mate. Okay. Because normally, when you look at these these movies, the the human plotline is more just just filler and a lot of the time it's not the most interesting i mean there are obviously exceptions like destroy monsters the human plot line was as interesting as the monster plot line uh Godzilla versus geigen again is a really interesting plot line there and then you have things such as like gamma versus legion where it's not so good <laughs> mm. it's a lot of padding um for the the actual monster action parts but no here um here dijamon's very much the b plot Indeed, and I love the fact that you know it's a period piece. I mean, basically, whichever Kim it was in North Korea saw these films and just decided to rip it off completely because that's also a period piece, isn't it? Um, 
but it's and it's just really well done and it's really refreshing to see a kaiju film take place in not the swinging 60s um you know it, it, it's it's very japanese i it, you know is it is it as deep as some other films no you, you you're not you know I was, I was maybe over overplaying the dramatic quality of it here but it's really interesting the monster's interesting the the fact that the people that you think are going to be our heroes are useless um real damage is done as well sometimes i do feel that the monster does damage but it's all kind of limited yeah it's always property damage people bloody definitely died in this there's no there's no two ways about it oh yeah you're watching people get stood on um which yeah, is, is and, it's always an interesting um thing that you don't expect to see either so it's yeah it's a very very unique approach i have to say the film which you remind me of the most was uh de Gollum. Mm. Um, the you know the Jewish creature of mon- of uh, clay, the yes. monster who uh, takes revenge on the uh, the Germans in the Jewish ghettos, and I think yeah, it's no, very much the, that's a similar uh, sort of track, isn't it? it that's, it's a very similar mythology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a good call. This monster's like <laughs> forty foot high. Yeah, but also brainless. Although, well, no, he's not brainless, though, is he? He's a god. He d- he's literally a god who's trapped and can animate a statue. So, um, uh, but yeah, the film was, uh, was released to was dubbed and released by American International Television under the title "Margin: The Monster of Terror," uh, which you can still find uh, copies of it floating around under that title. Um, considering it's American International Television. So, also, uh, the people behind um, <laughs> the um, Roger Goodman's American International Pictures, I would not say this could be the most accurate dub. <laughs> just knowing what they're like. Um, so, yeah, I don't think, I don't know whether to really sort of trust, uh, trust that one at all. Now, I was lucky. I found um, sort of some Japanese subtitle versions, but they're low quality. And, and the I don't know if this is good or bad, mate, but I am now much closer to buying that that box set when it comes out than I thought I was going to be. <laughs> when you first bought it up, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That'll match my Gamera set. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, I don't know, though. They're, they're, these films are going to be shit, aren't they? And no. In fact, <laughs> damn, it's going to be 50 quid I really didn't need to spend. I'm but, just going to um, wait for it to come on Arrow Player, I think. Yeah, um, so and that's fine. Because, I mean, that's different yeah, I mean, I don't have stuff. like, you know, this vast DVD library room that I can put stuff into. No, you shouldn't. Mine's called my living room, and it's embarrassing and dreadful, and I, I don't need it either. Um, so I, stick stick with your streaming, mate. It's the best way to be. It's but... you, we say that, but at the same time, it's with the way physical media is disappearing. Um, and titles are disappearing with it. It's often good to have copies of these mm. things. My, and... my gamma, my gamma complete collection is looking very lonely. It, 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 it's I keep waiting for the for the Criterion Godzilla set to go down in price again. I missed my opportunity around Christmas. Um, I'm and just waiting does, yeah, the... for them to do the every errors for that. Hopefully, in yeah. the same size because at the moment it's really stupid size. 
And yeah, I well, could so, kind of justify so, it if we <laughs> had another two to go with it. It wouldn't look as bad. So it's the Gamera set, and I'm hoping the Dijamon... Di- I can't say it. Dimogen set is is the same size. Yeah. I will no doubt buy it, and I'll no doubt report on it. But um, I was just I was just really surprised. I mean, we were surprised when we liked Bulgasari, weren't we? Um, and Bulgasari is a is a poor man's rip off of this. Bulgasari, I think, is the fact that it's is questionable background of how it was made and what it represents, mm. and yet it still manages to be a very enjoyable film uh, two things that you shouldn't really go together um mm. the same way the fact that we're here combining a samurai to a pop samurai sort of picture with um a giant monster movie and the monster movie being the b plot and it somehow still works is also quite amazing um the soundtrack as well is composed by akira uh Ikafume. Mm-hmm. If you're a Godzilla fan, will be a name very familiar with yourself. And here he actually recycles um, and reworks several of the Godzilla themes to um, his usual powerful effect. Is um is is he himself not is the Dijamin monster not played by somebody with connection to Godzilla, or is that just something that was in my head? Uh... I could be wrong. Let's see. No. It was uh, Chikura Hashimoto. He Ooh. used to play baseball for the <laughs> Benichi Orions. Oh, that's what he's in Fist of Fury. That's the other. That's the other. That's his uh, other claim to fame. Um, and he's in Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. Yes. He played the Japanese fighter. He's also yeah. in Gamma vs. Virus as Dr. A. Yes, I think yeah, I had it in my head. It was a, a closer connection to maybe the Toho films, but obviously no, not. No, but, they, um... but but worth but worth picking out because um, yes, he 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 went on to other things. Yeah, and he'd already had a career. That's true. As a as a baseball player for the Menichi Orions, not onions, as I read. Yeah, I read it as onions. <laughs> and I was looking at that, and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> um, uh, but then again, they had that American um, player who played for some Japanese team on Takashi's Castle, didn't they? They did, yes. As the Beast. Um, they did. <laughs> Everything goes back to Takashi's Castle. Everything should go back to Takashi's Castle. Takashi's Castle was a wonderful show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I haven't got anything else to say on this one. I don't know about yourself. I just got one thing, a bit of a professory sort of thing to say. So, um, I, I'm I struggle. <laughs> I've been struggling since you mentioned this to even say the word Dimogen. I keep trans uh, transphobing two of the. Of, I keep calling it Dijamin, don't I? <laughs> no, not Dimogen. But what I hadn't realised, I did a bit of looking up because I didn't recognise the the name and Jin, obviously. Is very similar to Genie, yes. yeah, and Jin, and actually, yeah, and actually, it is literally that's what it is, which is why he's a spirit that flies off at the end that's animated the statue. Because although we may um, relate the Jin or the Genie to Arabic, Middle Eastern mythologies, predates that by thousands of years. And it is very much part of that sort of Japanese of of that. It's very much an Asian thing. So it's a um, 
This has this as much to do with um, Aladdin as it does with Godzilla. Funnily, funnily enough, so I, I, it was kind of interesting to find out that because I, I had it in my head that you know, one of my favourite films of recent years is Under the Shadow, which is sort of a British Iranian film where a, a jinn attacks a um, a young a young woman in war torn Tehran, and uh, again it's the same it's the same it's the same baddie it's a jinn, so there you go, that's 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 um that's Stephen's Professor Corner. <laughs> for this episode on that note I guess that brings us into tonight's episode thank you as always for listening um, if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us and you can follow us we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, we are on Twitter our Facebook group in particular is a great place to hang out and uh, we have some great conversations happening over there so uh, make sure you check that out and uh, if you haven't done already leave us a review let us know what you think of the show as it all helps raise the profile of the show you can check out our full archive episodes at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and you can also check out our bonus show which is the Battle Royale podcast where each episode myself and Steven are breaking down the cult classic that is Battle Royale one DVD chapter at a time uh, but Stephen, it's your choice to turn to choose next. What would you like to look at? Yeah, you're going to hate me. Um, <clears> or <throat> well, maybe you won't. Hopefully, hope you're going to enjoy this. But we're going to go full Stephen Art House, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, but I think this will please some people in our Facebook group. Um, a director that some people have been. Well, one person's been crying out for. <laughs> Just for you. Um, <laughs> So back to sort of um, sort of new wave Taiwanese cinema. Don't worry, it's not Edward Yang, but it is um, Xiaoming Ming Liang. And I'm going to ask you to watch Goodbye Dragon Inn. Okay. Um, which is a story of a cinema playing Dragon Inn um, <laughs> and, and some stuff going on. What I will tell you is there are eight lines of dialogue in the whole film. So... Don't worry about the subtitles this time, guys. And it also stars um, Chen Xiang Yi, who is somebody I met and interviewed, and she was absolutely charming, and I'm sure I'll tell some stories about that. But yes, um, I've recently picked up um, Blu-ray of this. I'm sure it's um, on various... It's on second run DVD, but I'm sure it's on various streaming sites and you'll be able to get hold of it. Um, it is probably the artiest thing I'll ever ask you to watch, mate. So let's let's see. We've gone from pop samurai giant monster to almost dialogue-free art house film. But they are obviously looking at the classic film Dragon Inn, so... And they are looking at the classic film Dragon Inn, which, um... Oh, hello. Moment of romance is going on outside my flat. <laughs> um, yes, yes. So that again, that'll be that'll be. A, we can do a review inside a review. <laughs> that movie's been remade so many times, though. It, it has indeed. It has indeed, and I think you'll find it's deliberately chosen, possibly for that reason, because it's one of those ubiquitous yeah. Hong Kong films. Um, and it's a yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil it. What it's about, but. Um, I will be fascinated to see how you go with it. And uh, and then we'll do something fun for our 69th episode afterwards, I expect. Sneaking up on us, isn't it? It is. Slowly towards the 100 as well. We're so. not slowly anymore. We're going at a great, great pace. So, 
Um, but um, until next time, thank you as always for listening, and um, we'll be back uh, next time. We're looking at Goodbye Dragon Inn. Until the next time, good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.